0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey y'all, welcome to the Sci-Fi Side, a podcast about black science fiction and fantasy and staying on the same page in our marriage. Baby, baby, I am your host, Amber Wallen, and I'm joined by my husband,
1: Benjamin Wallen. and you've paid us a single listen,
0: so we'll tell you your fortune. <laughs> Today, we will be discussing the documentary Horror Noir, a history of black horror, directed by Xavier Neal Burgeon and featuring actors like Keith David, Tony Todd, and Rachel True, director Jordan Peele, and author Tanana Reeve Du. The film is inspired by Dr. Robin R. Means Coleman, who wrote a history book on black horror called Horror Noir. We will be discussing the documentary Horror Noir, and also one of the films from the documentary that they talked about, black Directed by a black director, William Crane. Starring a black actor, William Marshall. Then, before we hop into this amazing horror noir documentary and these two amazing films, what are you drinking tonight?
1: I'm drinking Spiteful Brewing, a Chicago-based brewery. So shout out to Spiteful Brewing. Shout
0: out. Thanks for asking me what I'm drinking as well. Great. I'm drinking a white wine. Love me a good Sauvignon Blanc. So we're going to loosen up. We're going to have fun cheers to horror tis the season
1: before we suck right in
0: ooh, no maybe not (laughs) before we sink our teeth into tonight's discussion yes yes
1: you're way better at
0: so ben before we hop into discussing everything tonight why don't you share a horror story of your own
1: i love hiking as you know took you hiking in thailand Surrounded by wild monkey snakes. You know, I love hiking. So when you first took me down to Georgia, you decided to take me to the only mountain that you knew of, called Stone Mountain. Now, being a northern boy simply driving down to Georgia was pretty shocking to begin with. On the way I saw the largest Confederate flag. Nope. The largest flag ever. It was a Confederate flag, which I found interesting. You found horrifying, but you decided to take me to Stone Mountain and we go to Stone Mountain and we take a left down Robert E. Lee Drive, Mm. who was a slave owner who poured salt on his slaves' backs after they were whipped to... You know, incite more pain. I was very confused about that—that that there would be a street named Robert E. Lee Drive.
0: Oh yeah, well you know, welcome to the South.
1: So you, oh, God, you thought I would want to hike up a mountain that the end journey was a monument dedicated to Confederate soldiers.
0: You know, here's the tea—I didn't even remember that that. Was a thing. I'd only been to Stone Mountain a couple times in my life. And so I know that you love hiking. My little white husband loves to self a mountain. So I was like, oh, well, Stone Mountain. I remember hearing about Stone Mountain growing up. I had probably been once as a child. So let's take him there. And so I was just as horrified as you were when we got there. And I'm remembering, you know, when you revisit something for your childhood, I'm remembering, oh, fuck. <laughs> this whole thing is one big Memorandum to these horrible confederate soldiers
1: that was the most racist hike I've ever taken yes, in my life I would agree
0: <laughs> that was bad. It's like, who is this money going towards now i I now I feel bad for paying you know whoever we paid to park
1: sons of of the confederacy. they're the people um, who pay, actually buy plots of land throughout the south to. Uh, post up massive Confederate flags,
0: and I gave them my my seven dollars to park. That's Maybe. the horrible part. And you know the gag is that there were tons of black people there. It's Tom Mountain. People go there all the time. Lots of people there taking pictures, having fun, and so it, it's it's comparable to like here. Here's Hitler Mountain. Let's go up it. It was horrible. It was a good hike though, right, babe?
1: Uh, the great horror writer Tenenry Du has said that what scares black people is very different than what scares others or what's I, she, she might say what scares white people in our case makes a lot of sense uh, when we drive down to Georgia I do see these confederate flags and it's sort of a symbol that I'm no longer in Kansas or you know Chicago for you you see that flag and you're like mm, let me look away cringe like mm. It's a different type of emotion.
0: Yeah. Because there's nothing I can do about it. So it's like, oh, I'm just going to turn the other cheek. <laughs> I'll see my mama soon. I'll get to Waffle House soon. It's side. Like, side.
1: noir sort of looks at black horror. Horror noir breaks down black horror in roughly six phases. So we're going to go through each phase step by step. Phase one. Phase one is black people are the monsters. Ah. And they talk about the birth of a nation. And in Birth of a Nation, you see the villain who's dressed in blackface who is this rapist. And there is this idea that representation does exist because we have talked about there's a lack of representation, but no, beginning of horror films, black people were represented.
0: They were misrepresented. They were
1: misrepresented. And that I think that's a very... Like important difference.
0: Of course, when it comes down to, it, I mean, it, it's it's sad that I have to make these choices, but honestly, I would rather be underrepresented than misrepresented. And I feel like, obviously, white people in blackface of Birth of a Nation, like fetishizing white women and being like the ultimate evil because they're like hypersexualized, going after their white wives. Like, I would rather black people be completely left out of that narrative any day of the week.
1: It makes me think of jobs you've turned down working with white folk who just want you there because you're black.
0: Oh, for sure. I was listening to another podcast today that was talking about like, there's a really big difference between tokenism and inclusivity. And I know sometimes those lines blur, but it's it's very clear when it's just like, y'all are trying to meet a quota, y'all need to not look racist and y'all are actively making people feel included in the work and and they think we don't know the difference but uh, we do
1: yeah this makes me think of another quote by Tananarive Dew where she...
0: oh can I say it because that was the quote that gave me chills mm-hmm. Tananarive Due, who is a black author um, black science fiction author who I've been loving we've been reading a great horror novel by her In the film Horror Noir she says black history is black horror and it just like reverberated through my whole body because it's so true. Like our worst fears are not these like magical spells and ghouls and goblins. My worst fear as a child was waking up with like a burning cross in my yard or getting the call that my brother has been killed by the cops. All of my worst fears are not You know, is there a monster under my bed? It's just... It's meeting the the white man monster outside of my home.
1: Yeah, and they Or in my
0: bed, in this case.
1: White man monster in your bed? Yeah. That's the title of your first horror short story. Of
0: course it is.
1: I'm also... I mean, history... When you really, like, dive into history, and you read about the presidency, you realize how horrific the presidency is. For example, the Birth of a Nation was screened in the White House.
0: Yeah. That's just horrific. Yeah. I mean, but that's not even shocking. I could see Birth of a Nation being filmed in the White House right now. (laughs) Am I lying?
1: You're not lying. Stand
0: by and stand back. That's... Come on. They've watched that movie in there once.
1: I do wonder if we'll ever get to a point where black writers can create black monsters without this... Horrific subtext, and what I mean by that is, I went to a an improv uh, group, um, all women of color, called Matt Damon Improv in Chicago.
0: Woo Shout out!
1: And there was a question that each of them answered, which was like, "What type of role would you want to play if you weren't being typecasted?" And many of the black women were saying, "Oh, I want I want to be the villain. I want to be the monster. Uh, I want to get to a point." Where me being a monster isn't because of my ethnicity or the way I talk or the way I do my hair or the way uh, I love myself. It's because I get to play a monster, yeah. Which like, makes with me
0: actual venom coming out of my mouth. It's not just because I have a fro,
1: right? Which reminds me of that great movie Ma.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, Benjamin. I still love Ma. Justice for Ma. What a great example. I just don't think that got the love it deserved.
1: It did not. It also wasn't directed by a black person.
0: Well, we don't have to think. We're talking about Octavia Spencer giving a great performance and being the villain for the first time ever. Like that felt like some sort of justice.
1: It did. And it sort of reverts back to this first historical Idea of black horror, which is black people are monsters, but Ma felt so differently Mm -hmm. than... The Birth of a Nation, and a lot of these other first films that came out.
0: Yeah, because she had actual motivation. She had been traumatized by her white classmates, and she, you know, spoiler alert, she was seeking revenge on their kids and what have you, whereas in Birth of a Nation, the motivation is blackness. It's like, well, they're black. Of course they're lusting after our women. It's like, that's not a motive. What? Trash.
1: The first step is that black people were monsters. Phase two is- Phase it, two! Black people are the slapstick, the comic relief in the middle of a horrific event.
0: Yes, yeah, this would have been the phase I was in.
1: They show unreasonable fear. Uh, they faint when they see the image of a ghost. And they become sort of the comic relief. Of course. Of the, the movie.
0: With the shuck and jive. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. And that's, this is sort of led, this transition, this probably positive transition is led by Oscar Michaud. Oscar Michaud is known for Amos and Andy, which is a very comedic type of show, uh, where he says, don't engage in these, like, violent behaviors as the black monster. That idea, though, that the documentary looks into is still harmful, still damaging.
0: Of course. So phase one, we're monsters. Phase two, we're like slapstick idiots, Three Stooges noir.
1: Exactly, and again, that sort of pigeonholes uh, groups of people, and so they're, they're treated as props. They have no motivation. They just fall down. You still in that?
0: I'm anti the phase, but if there was a phase I would be in, it would definitely be this one.
1: I do know that in horrific situations, you try to sort of say something to alleviate the situation. Oh, yeah.
0: I gave a hell of a roast at my grandma's funeral.
1: That was sad. Was it horrific?
0: (laughs) My grandma fucking died, Ben. Yeah, that's horrible.
1: What's the difference between sadness
0: and horror? (sighs) Hmm. Yeah, let's talk about that. Sadness, horror is haunting. Like, my grandma dying doesn't make the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. The thought of her dying does.
1: Going to her house and going through her things... You did try to be funny in that,
0: you yeah, because we were discovering real time that she was a hoarder. We were, you know, some fun fun <laughs> horror story there. Do you know my brother? Uh, thanks, Thomas family, for letting me tell out your business. My brother, when he was in high school, maybe he, he was a ninth grader, or tenth grader. He broke his ankle, so he had to wear this a cast for weeks. My dad was cleaning my grandma's house, and my brother's cast from years ago from high school that he had you know had long since cut off of his leg just you know the white cast it was in my grandma's closet in her house that my dad recently cleaned so she threw nothing away i guess she took my brother to get his cast taken off and just kept the cast why that's horrific
1: anyway you're the slapstick <laughs> that's funny Oscar show Uh, Actor, director, known for Amos and Andy, says, don't engage in these behaviors as uh, the black monster. Stop taking on roles as the black monster.
0: So he's saying, like, instead be the comedian. Instead. Be the grand old black guy. Your neighborhood friendly black guy.
1: Exactly. So he flips the script, which is positive. It's a good thing. Okay. However, it still pigeonholes black characters. And they still play the maids. They still play the worker who faints when they see a ghost, who trips and falls amidst horror. So that's phase two. Then we move into phase three. Phase three! The Atomic Age. And this is the time where scientists take center stage and all the horror comes from Godzilla and King Kong. So there's no place for slapstick. There's no place for servants. And black people disappear. Yep. However, they don't really disappear. Blackness, the idea of blackness, still becomes the horrific image. And even now, you right. say, "Oh, you made a dark joke, right?" Like we've we've talked about this before. And I'm always like, "Nope. Use a, use a different word." When I'm working with my students, nope. Use a different word. So you mean it was a a sad joke? <laughs>
0: I care when people say dark humor i'm just saying i know that that's like if i was called a key, i would care but when people are like oh i have a different humor it's like a darker humor mm. that 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 doesn't immediately say to me like black humor that, that's mm. a big deal do- you know you see what i'm saying
1: yeah i i hear you and dark is associated with bad or hmm uh, depressing humor. And when you use okay. blackness and associate with depression, uh, you sort of, again, like pigeonhole. Like...
0: I agree to disagree. Keep on with the bases.
1: Anyway, the Atomic Age happens. <laughs> there are no black actors. However, there is King Kong. And King Kong is a metaphor for blackness. Oh,
0: for sure. For sure. It's so interesting too because i remember you know i was talking about mighty joe young when we were talking about mad max and i was like you know mighty joe young didn't feel like a metaphor for blackness why because he was kind and loving and different things but king kong for sure felt like oh fuck this like black evil is coming for us
1: mighty joe young is a gorilla King Kong is not a gorilla. King Kong is a metaphor who obsesses over white women and comes and grabs them and chooses like chews off their heads.
0: Yeah, but Mighty Joe Young was still, for some reason, you know, taken from an African country, but for some reason he was living there with a white woman. You know what I'm saying? So they're 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 slowly still trying to create that like lust or love dynamic between Mighty Joe Young. And Charlize Theron. Because remember, she was in it.
1: I think we're getting off topic. Are we talking about Mighty Joe Young or The Blind Side?
0: <laughs> you are trash.
1: Moving on. That was uh, stage three. We move into the Atomic Age. And the horror noir deals with this much better. We thought it was incredibly accurate that blackness is often used as a metaphor for evil and wickedness, you just read Harry Potter. Or don't read Harry Potter. Four phase four is phase that four. black people as hood heroes.
0: I can get down with that.
1: But it also says that you can't be a hero unless you're like
0: rags to riches from the hood.
1: Yeah, and this is the black exploitation error. With the exception of the 1968 Night of the Living Dead, where Dwayne Jones becomes the hero. And Wayne Jones is the actor, the main protagonist of Night of the Living Dead. Go watch it. It's important. It's a great movie. It's directed by a white man. And he adamantly says, I did not choose a black man to be a protagonist as sort of a racial, like, social justice statement. However, that doesn't make any fucking sense because the... Day that they finished up shooting this, MLK had died. So this is like 1960s. We're in the 1960s, beginning of 1970s in the black exploitation era. And that that never like rang true to me. You know, when when white people are like, no, I wasn't trying to do a specific like anti-racist type of movement. I just chose the best actor. Because I don't see color. I I don't... That just has never felt comfortable with me. Uh, But George Romero has claimed, no. uh, Dwayne Jones was the best actor. He needed to be the lead of this film, Night of the Living Dead, which is the slow-moving zombies that we see in The Walking Dead. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? Like, can people just honestly choose a person... At, because you're an actor can can a director just choose someone based solely on their standard acting skills
0: Well first off you asked that question in a <laughs> in a way that you thought like you loaded the question.
1: There's only one right First answer First off,
0: you to loaded that. the question. No, I definitely think that you can go in thinking you want one thing and then you get something else. Like, I remember one time as an actor, I decided to, like, and I'll preface this by saying I didn't get the part, but I decided to apply to be Brooke Wyndham. I auditioned to be Brooke Wyndham from Legally Blonde for a musical. And I remember thinking, like, oh, they'll never choose me, which they totally didn't, blah, blah, blah. But if you really think about... The story of Legally Blonde, super quick, Brooke Wyndham is a woman who goes to jail, who's accused of killing her husband. Like, that could easily be a black woman. Or, and people think she's a gold digger. Again, that could easily be a black woman. You're going to have to change the narrative a little bit, um, and maybe a little bit of the backstory, but why couldn't that be a black woman? I can fully believe that Dwayne Jones, a black actor, was the best actor that day and he had undeniable talent and greg romero is that what his name is george romero i'm sorry you don't drop a shit ton of names tonight I'm, I'm trying to keep up with all the names but
1: i have failed as your husband as your <laughs> lover
0: his name is greg oh, fuck. george george it's a white name with a g Jeff, right? So Jeff Romero, I'm sure... Because you
1: spell Jeff with a G. Some people
0: just spell Jeff with a G. It's like G E O F F. I think oh, you right. I, I know I am.
1: I think they pronounce it Joff.
0: No, it's not. It's Jeff. I think that you can have an idea of what you want in mind, you know, like I once had for my future family. And then one day, someone shows up to that casting call, and you're like, you know, I see it with you but we can make it you know you really given a hell of a performance right now and and you got the part
1: are you comparing me with Dwayne Jones a black actor like I showed up to your casting call right for Night of the Living Dead
0: well I'm not which it,
1: is what we're calling our marriage Night of the Living Dead it
0: is <laughs> it's a fucking horror story is what it is but yeah I am comparing you to Dwayne motherfucking Jones and he killed the part. And did. then he was killed. So who knows? Stay tuned with you.
1: Go watch Night of the Living Dead. It's great. However, stage four that we were discussing is black people as heroes. And usually they're, for lack of a better term, like hood heroes. And this is the 1970s. We move away from the atomic age and the slapstick comedy. And so maids become pimps and hoes. And the black splotting
0: <laughs> mates become pimps. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're doing great. Keep going.
1: And you get such classics <laughs> like Black Love.
0: I just can we stop and just ask for a black exploitation version of The Help <laughs> because that would be a real fucking treat. <laughs> like a little Viola Davis, but with a little gold gun in her purse.
1: <laughs> so you get such classics as Blackula, Dr. Black, and Mr. Hyde. I'm sorry, these, these titles are really... I
0: love them! You can, you can, Please, argue me up and down. I love when things are called black.
1: But you've told me this, that you're redefining a white story instead of just writing your own story. Now, you've told
0: me that. I do hate that. But I like when things... Well, because at this point, we're moving from, like what you said, phase one, was we're monsters. Phase two, we're slapstick. Phase three, we're not in it. Phase four, we have to take the stories of white people. Because that's the 1970s, right? I don't like when that shit happens present day. But I do, I can get down with Blackula. I can get down with Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde. Because I know what I'm getting into. And that appeals to, I'm sure if I was Black in the 1970s, I would go see that movie because you've lived through a decade or a wave of time where black people were not even included. And so Blackula tells me two things. It tells me two things that are so powerful. One, that this is going to be a black movie. Two, that this is going to have a black lead. Which is powerful.
1: You saying that you putting yourself in the 1970s, you would go see these films, absolutely. made me think of this assignment I once had where I had to write... As I was in 1915. And it was so intriguing to like put myself at that time. Uh, However, I haven't done that in a while. And it would be really fun to write as if I was in the 1970s. Uh, But that just threw in my head. Another film that they looked at is Abby. And in this documentary, they discuss uh, the fear of black women in general and their sexuality. And this rem- reminded me of uh, a book that we have, uh, one of the few books that we have in our house written by a white woman called... Um, Why
0: is that so, Ben? Uh,
1: we've gotten rid of uh, every single book written by a white person in our we? house. We? You did that. I did that.
0: Why'd you do that?
1: That's a long story. Well,
0: make it short. Uh,
1: I realized that I needed more authors in our house that were black and that represented you. Because every time you leave the house, uh, you you enter into a space that despises and hates you. And I wanted to make this space as the most comfortable space for you.
0: So where are all your white books? Did you stab them?
1: Uh, I burnt them all.
0: <laughs> uh, and a big white fire! <laughs>
1: with a wand. Of course. Uh, and some voodoo magic. No. Uh, so they this made me think busy. of the movie Abby, which they discuss. And they talk about the fear of black women in general and their sexuality. And uh, we do have this woman, this book called uh, Women's Anatomy and Sexuality. And I remember you uh, discussing this book for the first time. And you getting like really pissed off because you're like, I didn't even know my vagina had that.
0: I know. Well, I'm gonna tell you why I was pissed off about the book. So I didn't really even learn and you know, judge me all you want, but I didn't even really learn that women could masturbate until I was in college. Like I knew I was doing something as a child, but I didn't know I didn't have the language for it. Um and I damn sure didn't have like the sex toys and all of the magic, right? And so, wand. Magic. (laughs) Wand shut the hell up anyway it's a while of music uh i i bought this book that was called women's anatomy of sexual arousal and it was supposed to be this sexual liberation and awakening for me and maybe like the second or third page into the book was like well i know that most of you have already had amazing orgasms but we're gonna help you get to better ones and at that time i hadn't really had a true orgasm from a partner or anything like that so i just immediately felt
1: written like a true white woman
0: i I was like this is not you know two pages in I already don't feel included into this like you could have just you could have just opened with like hey everyone reading this book you're about to experience and do some fun things and we're gonna go on this exciting ride together you don't have to acknowledge that like no I know you're too experienced for this but that's just so unnecessary it's like most people who buy this book probably have similar sexual experiences that to me right I
1: wonder if someone watched Abby and then thought, oh, I can have a horde of zombie men and go masturbate.
0: All right, then. We're going to move along. So the next phase, I proudly present phase five. You know how to do the echo? Phase
1: five, five.
0: So in phase five, it's the 90s and the 2000s. And we meet the sacrificial Negro and the magical Negro, right? And it's funny because I had heard of the magical Negro complex before the movie, It's like The Legend of Bagger Vance. It's like sometimes it's really truly black people with these magical powers and characteristics and sidekicks and things like that. But the horror noir film taught me about the sacrificial negro, which is basically, um, it's Rachel True in the craft. It's the black person who's there to just ask the white person like, is everything okay? Are you all right? It's also the black person who is... Killed to save the white person, the white main character, which is so annoying. It's like, wait, my only purpose in this life is to protect some white person who never would think twice about protecting me. That sounds awesome. So the documentary film sort of outlined as like, we don't know this monster's truly, truly bad until they kill this really kind, sweet, sacrificial black person. For example, they use The Shining. Um, the guy who, I don't know, his name fails me, but there's this older, it's the only black person in The Shining who was killed in the movie, but not in the book because they had to sacrifice him for the film to show that this, this monster is a really, really bad. Jack Nicholson's character, horrible. Why? Because he killed the old, wise old black man.
1: Which in the novel.
0: Didn't happen. I said didn't, that.
1: Didn't happen. Right. Um, however, there's levels to this shit. Right. Nettie Okorofo, great writer. And she wrote an essay that's on Strange Horizons called Stephen King's Super Duper Magical. Negroes. And in there, she talks (laughs) about that these people are given much, like a much bigger role. And she looks at the stand. She looks at the shining. And however, it's still centering whiteness. Mm. And... I will often come to you with an idea to watch a movie or to watch a show. I'm like, oh, this this is great. It has, you know, I think you would like this. And you watch it and you're like, yeah, but it's still centering whiteness. Because it's getting into that super duper um idea that's still falling into tropes that Har Noir looks at that fall, you know, go back since the beginning of yeah. cin- cinematography. And it's like
0: these days if people aren't Getting out of those stereotypes and those different phases that have already been covered. Like, I'm not trying to waste minutes of my life watching that.
1: There's too many good stories, like black stories now.
0: Negroes. <laughs> I said it earlier and it sounded sort of like a cheerleader. It's like, we are the Negroes. I'm going to keep that going. <laughs>
1: Anyway, so the 90s, early 2000s, this is a phase where you introduce a monster, and this monster is shown to be truly horrible because they killed the black protector, which is a quote from the documentary. Great. It would
0: be funny if they fused phase one, where we are monsters, and then phase five, where we protect people from monsters. And what do you get? Black on black cry. Oh, oh no.
1: Which actually Blackula gets into, but we'll get to that. Uh, so, Phase Six: Renaissance and Black Horror.
0: Phase Six, we have arrived,
1: and this is the point that Nettie Okorafu says in her essay, where we've reached the point where the.
0: You want me to read something, Ben? Nettie says, we've reached the point that magical Negroes have power that if harnessed for personal intent would change the story greatly. Ooh, I love that. Yeah,
1: Nettie Okor for...
0: Because I am magical. But it's for my intent. Exactly. Not Karen's.
1: <laughs> we get Get Out. We get Us. We get...
0: Tales from the Hood. We get Ganja and Hess.
1: Well, Ganja and Hess was the 70s.
0: Well, you wrote it here. I
1: did which was uh, I was getting we had had arrived to this point earlier in the 1970s Ganja and Hess was made but nobody
0: knows what that is no one
1: knows what that is because indie film it wasn't it wasn't an indie film so this film was made but then
0: cut I thought just like weird fun movies that are slow developing those are called indie films
1: no no indie film no (laughs) no so ganja and hess was ganja Ganja and hess was a movie that did arrive at this point and
0: at uh, at phase six
1: at phase six however the studio did not want to release it as originally cut
0: ahead of its time like yesimo
1: ahead of its time so they changed it to like blood couple or something Go watch Ganja and has more of that to come. So now we're, we're in this renaissance of in black horror. However, we want to backtrack a little bit. We want to look at that black exploitation film of 1972,
0: Blackula. Oh, so good. Go watch it. It holds up. I mean, it, it starts a little fast, but it holds up. I loved it. And I don't even like scary movies. My most scary movie I ever watched used to be Scary Movie. You know, the movie that was a parody of all scary movies. Ben, what was the first scary movie you watched?
1: Resident Evil. I still remember the scene in that film where a woman like throws up her hand and this shocks, you know, shock scare, what they call it now. And that movie fucking terrified me. I had nightmares for months. Actually, I had a, I used to have, Waking terrors, and I would go around the house, uh, breaking things and flipping over tables and what? chairs.
0: What, what is a waking terror?
1: A waking terror is you are walking around in your nightmare physically.
0: It's like sleepwalking. But
1: a nightmare version. So I used to get so terrified, and I would throw over my nightstand and my dresser.
0: Wow, that's rough.
1: I've never told you that.
0: I I know I love having a podcast with you. I learned so much. You know what my first scary movie was?
1: Scary movie. I think that's what. You no,
0: said. it wasn't. I used to watch movies like that. But the first scary movie I ever saw. Do you know? *Eve's Bayou*. No, it was *The Sixth Sense* in theaters. It was horrifying because we went to the movie theater to see something else. And the only thing that was available was the sixth sense. Like that was the only thing that tickets were available for. I didn't even finish the whole movie because I ran out of the movie theater screaming to the part where there were people hanging from the ceiling in the school. And it just reminded me of like all things slavery that we were learning at school. So I was, I was scared the entire time. And then when I saw people hanging from the ceiling, I was like, "Nope, <laughs> not on my watch." Uh-uh, because I already have to see so many images of people swinging from trees in history class. So I just, I just ran out, and I sat in the lobby until my friends and their parents came out. And I was like, "Uh-uh, not me." And I had nightmares. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I could see the whole thing. True story. Isn't that a horrible first movie to see as a child? Like, when it came out. I saw it in theaters. Well, I saw half of it in theaters. Blackula!
1: (laughs) This is a 1972 film, directed
0: by William Crane. Blackula. Initial thoughts, Amber? Initial thoughts. Um, Well, I love a black lead. Very short. Blackula is a story where... This black man is bitten by Dracula and then wakes up years in the future because he's been locked in this coffin and then he's terrorizing the city and biting people and whatever. But he lost his wife when he fell asleep many years ago, was killed many years ago. And then he sees a woman on the street that looks like his wife. It, It is, but they're playing it off as like it's a different actor years in the future. And the craziest part of this whole movie for me was that the vampire Blackula, aka Mama Walde, was ran up to this woman and it's just like you're my wife in, in a future life. You're my wife from centuries ago. And Tina, the lady, just goes with the shit. That was the most unrealistic part. Like not the vampires, not the blood sucking, not the <laughs> the garlic and the steak. The most crazy part is that if a person came up to me, it was like no, but listen to me. You're my wife from centuries ago. And she's just like, I mean, okay. Don't do my sister like that. No black woman on God's green earth, on the universe's green earth, would just be like, oh, I'm your wife from years ago, of course. Like, he didn't have to present no receipts, nothing. That was crazy to me. What did you think about that?
1: I I honestly, I was not concerned with that. <laughs>
0: No. they just threw my girl tina under the bus with that one because nobody would respond that way nobody would just be like yeah i guess i'm your wife from years ago and i guess you're a vampire like turn up without any proof why was she so trusting of him
1: so we had watched this movie right after we watched Hard noir because it's mentioned in Hard noir so i was looking at it through a lens of the 1970s exploitation era And so, things of, like, realism weren't sort of jarring me, but... Okay, well,
0: what were your initial thoughts?
1: All right, my initial thoughts was, like, whoa, there are gay characters in here.
0: Oh, yes, that was shocking.
1: Like, whoa, they reference sloppy cops. They literally say sloppy cops who butcher jobs that involve black victims. I was like, what? Wait, what? 1970s are already talking about shitty cops who don't give a fuck about black lives, In a film. Mm -hmm. Uh, That surprised me. The other thing that surprised me was that there is a um, stripper, sort of stripper, who's also a photographer, which I thought was really cool. uh, Because stripper photographers are just underrepresented (laughs) in film. They're what? Underrepresented. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Stripper photographers are underrepresented. She's not a stripper, but... She, you know, she is a
0: a go-go girl, a go-go
1: girl, and she's also a photographer who has her own dark room. I love that. I I did love that there were gay men in the film, and there it, were the, an interracial couple. However, they are Blackula's like first victim. so kill your gays, right? So it, it falls into that <sighs> that trope, uh, which which I had problems with, but I. I, but you know,
0: there's a there's a part of it where I don't have a problem with it because they then become part of Blackula's like squad, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yes, yes. Um, so, however, in the film, and I think they do, I think they do this intentionally. Um, Billy and Bobby, um, they're not recognized as lovers; uh, they're referred to as associates. However, all their dialogue, and there's actually quite a bit of it. Um, is like very sexual and they talk about uh, you know remodeling their house because they're the couple they're this wealthy gay couple and they're in like Las- interior
0: designers yeah yep.
1: from Los Angeles who go to Transylvania they go to Transylvania and they through circumstance take Blackula's coffin back to uh, LA and unlock it and unleash blackula to the rest of la but at one point they they talk about trading out their guest a bed for the coffin because they thought it would be funny and i'm like there's this like a love between them that is felt in their dialogue at one point uh you know i think it's like uh, I, th- I forgot which one. I think it's Bobby who says, you know, I'm going to light one of these greasy lamps to to look around the storage in which they bottle the stuff from Transylvania. And uh, I think Bobby responds, it responds, you know, if the fire department could see you now, you silly lamp queen. So there's this like flirtation that they have. There is this relationship that I, I did enjoy watching on screen from the 1970s. You know, I didn't think gay people existed in the 1970s in film, but they for sure did. One of my favorite moments is uh, Nancy gets, uh, who is the go-go stripper girl slash photographer. She gets a picture of uh, Blackula at one point, and she, you know, is going to go develop this picture. And there's a character who sort of comes on to her And she denies him and says, you know, I know what would develop with you in a dark room and it wouldn't be my pictures. You know, there are there are some of these like like slinger one liners that I really appreciated throughout the film. I read a couple of like articles about this. And a lot of the articles I read was that this sort of sets up like African-Americans against Africans. Um, Mama Waldy is African and he's brought to America and an African-American cop takes him down ultimately. And so there's this subtext that Mm. Africans are beasts and the African-American man is this great hero. The African-American man is this great hero and takes down Blackula. That just made me think of sort of this dichotomy of African-Americans and then, like, Africans. Or in like this Black case... Black Panther. Exactly, sure. Or makes me think of the stories that you've told me about dating, like,
0: Oh, yeah. African. Well, I do want to be clear. I have a lot of friends who are Nigerian and Liberian, and so I'm not going to hold this, like, one asshole guy that I dated... To be the voice of all African people, of course. But it was weird because I did this guy who was Nigerian and he just like was always talking shit about lazy black Americans. Um, and, you know, it sucks because a part of that is what's portrayed in the media, what's portrayed in film. So he's just negatively talking about that those things like what he's seen and the in the same way that white people talk about like well i saw x amount of black people were arrested so that must mean they're all bad but it's strange because we are black americans we're of african descent and so when other africans are talking down on us in that way it's kind of just like you know that they think we're all the same here in america like Those people that say those things about us are going to think the exact same thing about you. That's why it's just like weird and ironic, of course.
1: And all of that, like internalized hatred, stems from white supremacy. Of course. N.K. Jemison says that the rot of American society is white supremacy. Mm. And so you can actually trace any of this internalized. Fighting as a result of white supremacy. So the idea that there's that separation is a result of white supremacy. Yeah,
0: which I now know, but at the time I was like, this ain't gonna work if you're just gonna keep talking shit. Like, we're in the same college. We make the same grades. You have very clear examples that that narrative is not true and you still be- believe it and refuse to believe anything else. Like, we can't be. Able.
1: And Blackula plays on that. Of course. It, it I, I didn't,
0: that. honestly, think about it like that, but... For sure it is.
1: Blackula, it works well. There's a lot and There's a lot of flaws. They do use the F word a lot.
0: Blackula works. Yeah, it was the 70s and there were some gay slurs used. But I think ultimately, I think it was a win for Africans. I think it was a win for African Americans. It was nice to be represented as the villain, but like a boss. Even at the end of Blackula, he kills himself. Because he's lost the love of his life. And he takes control of that narrative. Nobody actually kills him to his death or anything. I really appreciated that.
1: I also love that he introduces himself as Waldi. Like he doesn't take his slave name of Blackula. Dracula calls him Blackula. At oh the... my
0: god, good point. And
1: uh, that just reminds me where I really wanted you to hyphenate your name, and I wanted to change my name and become Thomas Wallen.
0: You never shared that with me.
1: I did. I wanted to... You did
0: not. You were not adamant about it. Maybe you journaled about it.
1: Well, I I was not adamant about it because when I brought it up, I started to realize that, no, I'm choosing Wallen because Thomas probably...
0: uh, Yeah, it's probably like a slave name or a name passed on, but... You did not talk to me. You can act like you talked to me about that, but you did not talk to me about that.
1: I I think I had some internal like internal awakening, and so I was like, we don't have to bring this up because I know what she's getting at. <laughs> you wanted you wanted your choice name. You wanted to choose your yeah, own name.
0: because I get to do what I want? There's a lot in naming, in deciding like what you want to go. Of course, like your parents can give you a name, but there's a part of you that's like, my name can change. It doesn't. I get to be called what I want to be called, and that's something that humanizes me.
1: Well, you wear the Wallen name well.
0: Why, thank you. So why don't you, in your most ghoulish horror voice, what about the show.
1: In conclusion, Horror Noir is one of the greatest documentaries I've ever seen in my life. And Blackula is the greatest vampire I've ever watched. Take the screen, Aldi lives.
0: Why could I? Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Sci. Be sure to tune in next week for episode four. We'll be reading The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Lavelle. Now let's talk about Mr. Lavelle's resume. He is the recipient of numerous awards, including the World Fantasy Award, the British World Fantasy Award, the Bram Stoker Award, the Whiting Writers Award, the Guggenheim Fellowship, and many, many other awards as well. He was raised in Queens, New York, and now he lives in Washington Heights. So don't miss next week where we'll be discussing The Ballad of Black Tom.